from chapter 13, John 13, and we're going to read one verse, verse 1, John 13, 1. It's page 16, 1673 in the blue Bible in your pew, if you don't have a Bible with you. John 13, 1. Here is what the Word of God says. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. And then John pauses and gives us like um, a phrase in the middle, just you know, explaining what's going on. And then it says, having loved his own who are in the world, he, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The King James or most of the other, this is NIV, the, the rest of the translation say he loved them to the end. And then verse 2 we read, at the evening meal, uh, was being, the evening meal was being served and the devil has already um, prompt Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to portray Jesus. So John, from verse 2, start picking up what happened. Really, the whole phrase from having loved his own, till the end of verse 1, he loved them to the end, or he showed them love to its extent. Um, It's kind of like um, a phrase in the middle that you can actually take it out. It's not going to affect the the meaning. But this is actually where we're going to stop today. Um, Having... um, showed them the full extent of his love or having loved them to the end. And we're going to try to talk about um, three small things. Actually, the more literal Greek translation, the NIV here is taking the meaning of the, the Greek, but the actual Greek translation is he loved them until the end. That's the actual literal translation. So we're gonna, I'm going to share with you today how Jesus loved us or loved every single one in this world to the end. I'm just going to pause and meditate a little bit on that phrase. And we're going to highlight three ways uh, that Jesus loved us to the end. Amen? He loved us to the end of love. Okay? He loved us to the end of love. Number two, he loved us to the end of our sin. To the very depth, the very bottom of our sin. And number three, he loved us till the end of time. Amen? So three different ways to look at that phrase. So let's all try to share it together. Say it all out loud. Make sure you're following me. Number one, he loved them to the end of love. Number two, he loved them to the end of their sin. And number three, he loved them to the end of time. Let's, let's start sharing a little bit about each one of these three ways of looking at that phrase. Number one, he loved them to the end of love. And that is the immediate meaning that we see right there in, in John chapter 13. Even the NIV that we just read, it just said that Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. When we read it in the context, John was talking about Jesus heading to the cross. And when John was saying, Jesus knowing that the hour has come, that he might depart from earth and go back to the Father, how how did Jesus depart from earth and went back to the Father? By the cross. 
when he went to the cross, when he died on the cross, this is how Jesus left earth as a human being and went back to be with the Father where he came from. So when John started talking about the cross, he paused and he started meditating about the cross. And he said, man, that cross, that shows us something. That shows us that Jesus has loved his own who are in the world. And he loved them to the very extent of love. This is the absolute maximum of how love could ever look like. It's the cross. That Jesus will die on their behalf on the cross. This is the end of love. This is it. After that, you cannot go beyond any more love. Amen? Jesus himself said that just a couple of chapters later in John 15. This is what Jesus said. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. This is the greatest love of all. What is it, Jesus? That someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was saying, that cross, when I go there and I die on behalf of you, this is the greatest love. There is no greater love than this. This is the end of love. This is where love can ever go and stop. It's there. It's the cross of Jesus. No greater love than this. That someone will lay his, li his life down for the sake of his friends. Amen? He loved us to what? To the end. How? He showed us that love on the cross. When Jesus died on that cross, he showed us love to the very extent. Amen? Let's look at that scripture. Let's turn with me, if you can, to Romans 5, 7, and 8. I'm going to read it, uh, but it's just after John is Acts, and after Acts is Romans, and we're going to read from chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. This is an amazing scripture that Paul was talking about. 5, 7, and 8. Here is what um, Paul was saying. This is the NIV again. It says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. This is what Paul said. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Again, verse 7. Romans 5, 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. What is Paul trying to say here? It's like this. It's an analogy. I'm going to use Barb as my um, volunteer. She doesn't know, but she's already in. Let's say that Barb is a great person, and she is. Uh, everybody loves her. She's good to everybody. She's a giving person. She's just gracious and nice and sweet. And on the flip side of that, I am mean I don't like people, I'm always grouchy, and I'm not being nice to anybody, okay? And then, God forbid, Barb is driving, and then she gets in an accident or something, and she didn't see or whatever, and she's in trouble before the law, okay? And she has a price to pay, a penalty to pay. She has to go to jail, okay? Sorry, Barb. But <laughs> she's the nice person here. And you guys start thinking, you know, uh, okay, let's say it's jail or you know, death penalty or anything like that. And then you guys come together and say, well, you know, Barb is good. And we want her around because she's doing good to a lot of people. And if she end up in jail or, you know, end up with the death penalty, then we all going to lose. But on the flip side of that, 
Cami is really, you know, having him is, is, is a bad deal. We just want to get rid of him. He's bad to everybody. So you all come to me and say, Pastor Cami, I just don't take this the wrong way, but, <laughs> but would you uh, consider, you know, taking bar place? Would you please die on her behalf? And we'll give you a million dollars so we just can, you know, get rid of you. Do you think I'm going to take it? No. Oh, well, I, you know, I, I love Barb. I love everybody here. But you know what? I ain't taking her place. I ain't going to die for her. Because even if you pay me a million dollars, and let's say you go on and on and try to persuade me and spend like five hours and put it at five billion dollars, like, please consider it. Please consider it. At the very end of all your persuasion and you're trying to persuade me to take her punishment, I might, might, might consider it, right? If you pay me a huge sum of money, right? I might consider it. And this is what Paul was saying here. It is very rare, very rarely, that someone would die for the sake of a good person, right? And then it says... Um, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, not for a bad person, for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Do you see the, the, how he's really doubting that that could ever happen for the sake of a good person, for the sake of a person that deserves that somebody would die for them? Amen? Now, ready for your mind to be blown away. Let's read verse 8. Amen? Let's look at verse 8. But God, look at that. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What Paul was saying here is that our human logic would say it is very difficult for anyone to die for the sake of a good person, right? But when God loved us, when God wanted to show us love, He blew our logic away. He blew what love could possibly be away. God has demonstrated His love toward us in this. When we were yet sinners, we were the bad ones. We were the filthy ones. We were the wrong ones. When we were yet sinners against God, Christ died for us. Amen? Friends, this is love. If this is not love, I don't know what love will ever be. That Jesus, the Son of God, will come down from heaven, be just like you and me, and end up on the cross to take your punishment and my punishment. Amen? And on that cross, my friends, on that cross, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God who is almighty and all-powerful, became despised and rejected and ashamed by you and me. On that cross. On that cross, Jesus, the Bible says that he's so glorious that angels in his presence actually covered their eyes because they cannot see his glory. They just cover it in front of his presence. But guess what happened to Jesus on the cross? The Bible says that he was so marred, so disfigured that you could not even tell he's a human being. This is the literal translation from Isaiah 52. He was so beaten, he was so disfigured, that you look at him, you cannot even tell if this is a human being or not. This is how much he was beaten on the cross. The one who is the creator of heaven and earth died to take the place of the one that he made, his own creation. 
and the one who's sinless died for the sinful. The one who's holy died for the filthy and the ungodly. Amen? And when Jesus died on that cross, he took upon himself the very judgment, the very wrath, the very anger of God against your sin and my sin. And because Jesus took care of that wrath, now God, who's holy and righteous, is willing to accept us and receive us if we repent of our sins. Amen? This is love to the end. Amen? Listen to the lyrics of this amazing hymn. By Frederick Lehman. Think about these lyrics. It just blows my mind away every time I read it. Look, look at this. The love of God. Here is what uh, Frederick Lehman wrote. The love of God is greater than, is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Listen to this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill? And every man ascribe by trade? To write the love of God above. Would drain the ocean dry, not could the, nor could the scroll contain it, contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Amen. Amen. Powerful lyrics. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless, how strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Wow. This is love to the end. The cross of Jesus is God's manifesting, manifesting his own love for us to the absolute max. It just cannot get any greater than that. Amen? Amen. And today, I just want to tell you something. Some of you are lied to by the enemy, the Satan. He's trying to portray God as a mean, grouchy, powerless God. Hey, I have the power and I'm going to do it my way just because I can and some of us have experienced a lot of bad experience growing up or in the past we got hurt by so many people, supposedly Christian or whatever, or our own fathers or whatever the case is. And we try to take that on God, thinking, oh, well, if the church people did it this way, if my own father did it this way, then God must be this way. If I'm, if I'm sick, if I'm not feeling well, then God must not really care. Then God must not really love me because I'm going through so much trouble. Friends, I want to tell you something. If you ever question the love of God for you, you have to do just one thing. You just have to look at the cross of Jesus. Amen? If you look at that cross and you don't see love, nothing will else show you that God loves you. Amen? On that cross is the manifestation of the love of God for every single human being in the whole wide world. Don't you dare believe the lies of the enemy. That cross is the evidence that God loves you unconditionally and he will never relent about that. Amen? He loved them and he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end of love. Number two, he loved them to the end, the very depth of their sin. Amen? This is good. Let's turn with me to Leviticus 26. First time I read that scripture, it just blew my mind away. Leviticus 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. So that's the third book in the Bible. We're going to read relatively a large passage from uh, chapter 26. Leviticus 26, 14. That will be um, page 198 in your Bible pews if you don't have a Bible with you. So the context here is this. Um, God is speaking to the children of Israel and he's telling them, when you obey, there is a blessing waiting for you. When you obey my laws, you obey my commandments, I'm going to bless you. But if you disobey my laws, if you disobey my commandments, then you're going to receive punishment for it. Okay? So let's read the punishment side of um, how God is going to punish his people. That is uh, Exodus 26, 14. Listen to this. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commandments, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commandments and so violate my covenant, then, so if you reject me, if you act against my laws, here is what God's going to do, verse 16, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror, wasting diseases and fever, and will destroy your uh, will destroy your sight and drain away your life. You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. So God is telling them, if you disobey me, I'm going to punish you. But when God does that, when God is punishing his people, he's not punishing them just because he can. He's trying to make it tight on them. He's trying to make them suffer a little so that they can come back to him. His punishment to them, it is not just because he can or just because he's a mean God. It's because he just want to bring them back to him. So they can have life. How do I know that? Verse 18. Verse 18, it says, If after all this, when you, after all this, you will not listen to me. See, it's like saying, I'm making it tight for you so you can listen. Okay? So you can come to me. So you can come and have life that I only can offer to you. But if I try to make it tight on you and you still don't listen, I'm going to do my second attempt to bring you back to me. Verse 18, let's continue. I will punish you for your sins even seven times over. I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of the land yield its fruit. So God is saying, here's my number two attempt. Make it a little bit more tighter for you so you can come back to me. Now, verse 21, if you remain hostile, so God is saying, I tried it once to make you listen. I tried it once to give you the chance to come to me and have life, but you rejected. So I tried number two, and you rejected number two as well. So here is number three trial. I'm just trying to make you come back to me. Number, verse 21, if you remain hostile after my second attempt, Toward me and refuse to listen to me. I will multiply your affliction seven times over as your sins deserve. I'm not just being mean. This is what you deserve. I will send wild animals against you and they will rob you of your children. Destroy your cattle and make you few in number that you, your roads will be deserted. 
verse 23. This is God's third attempt. Count with me, okay? Three times so far, God is making it tighter and tighter and tighter on his people. Not because he's a mean God. They're the one violated his law. He's just trying to make them come back to him. Verse 23. If in spite of these things, if in spite of my third attempt to try to bring you back to me, if in spite of these things you do not accept my correction, but continue to be hostile toward me, I myself will be hostile toward you, and you will be, uh, and you will afflict, and I will afflict you for your sins seven times over, and I will bring the sword upon you to avenge the breaking of the covenant that you committed. When you withdraw into the cities, I will send a plague among you, and you will be given into your enemy's hands. When I cut off your supply of bread, ten women will be able to bake your bread in one oven, and they will dole out the bread by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. This is how many times now God is pursuing his people. Four, right? They sin, he's making it tighter. They don't repent. He's making it tighter. Don't repent. Making it tighter. Don't come back. Fourth time. They still don't come back. Verse 27. If in spite of this, even in spite of my four times trying to correct you and bring you back to give, so I can give you life. If in spite of all of this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile toward me. Then in my anger, I will be hostile toward you. And I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altar, and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols. And I will abhor you. I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries. And I will take no delight in the pleasing aroma of your offering. I will lay waste the land so that your enemies will live there. Your enemies who live there will be applauded. I will scatter you among the nation and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lay in ruins. Then the land will enjoy the Sabbath years of the, uh, all the times that you uh, lies desolate and you, will, and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy the Sabbath all the time that it lies desolate. The land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbath which you lived in it. God is, this is the fifth time. God is saying, I'm going to take you, I'm going to put you somewhere else, going to make you slaves so the land will rest from the Sabbath that I commanded you, but you still don't do it. How many times now God pursuing his people? Five, right? Fifth time, God is telling them, come to me, and they still reject that. They're still stubborn, they're still rebellion, they're still going far away from him and doing their own, six, their own thing. Number six, as for those of you who are left, after I take you to the foreign land, those of you who are left, I will make their hearts so fearful in the land of their enemies that the sound of the wind-blown leaf will put them to flight. They will run as though fleeing from the sword and they will fall, even though no one is pursuing them. They will stumble over 
one another as through fleeing from the sword, even though no one is pursuing them. So when, uh, so you will not be able to stand before your enemies. You will perish among the nation. The land of your enemies will devour you. Those who are left will waste away in the lands of their enemies because of their sins. Also because of their father's sins, they will be wasted away. So God's saying six, five times so far, I'm pursuing you, making it tighter and tighter and tighter that you come back to me and you start rebellion. Verse 40, we're almost done. Verse 40, it says here, God says, but if you will confess your sins, if you start returning back to me and the sins of their fathers, their treasury among me and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile toward them. If you just repent, if you just turn back to me, which made me hostile toward them. So I will send them into the land of their enemies. Then um, when their uncircumcised heart are humbled and they pay for their sins, I will remember my covenant and with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land for the land will be destroyed by them and will enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. They will pay for their sins because they rejected my laws, abhorred, abhorred my decrees. Verse 44. Look, look at this. Yet in spite of this, when you are in the land of your enemies, this is the climax. This is what I want to drag you guys to. Verse 44. Yet in spite of this, when you are in the land of your enemies, and in, uh, I will not reject them or abhor them, so to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God. Look at this. God is saying, even when I punish you five times and make it tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter, and you still rebellion against me, you still reject me, I will not abhor you. I will not hate you. I will still love you. And then he says, because I will be still your God. I am your God. When I was reading this, and I came to that verse, it just blows my mind away. Who does that? Who can tolerate that amount of rebellion and that amount of stubbornness and that amount of rejection? This is the creator of heaven and earth. He doesn't need none of us. He doesn't need to be patient with us. He doesn't need to tolerate us. But he tolerates and he's waiting and he's being patient. Even in spite of stubbornness and rejection and manipulation, we shake the fist in God's hand and say, we don't need you. We can have it our own way. Yet God's love and God's grace and God's kindness is all the way to the end of our sins and the very end of our stubbornness and the very end of our rejection to God. Amen? Amen. This is just, I, I was reading this and then when I got to that verse, I just, you just you cannot keep reading. You just have to take a pause. You just have to stop because this is unbelievable that God will love you to that much. And there's a lot of us like this. This very God who spoke to the children of Israel in the book of Leviticus and say, you can be as rebellion as you want against me. My love will always be for you till the end. This will never change. It's the exact same love with which I love you. I'm going to be steadfast toward you even to the very end. Amen? Look at the world around us. Look at even our own lives. How many times we rebel against God? We know what he wants. We know that he wants our heart full, 100%, yet we don't want to do it. And we rebel against him. And we intentionally choose to break his law and break his heart. And we're not doing it once. We're doing it 
over and over and over and over again. Yet, friends, Jesus loved his own, loved them to the very end of their rebellion, their stubbornness, and their rejection to him. He still loves us the same. And that very Jesus loves you the exact same way even today. He doesn't care about your sins. He doesn't care about your stubbornness or rejection to him. He just loves you because he's a good God. Amen? He loved them to the end. The end of love. The end of their sin. And number three, he loved them to the end of time. Let's read one verse from, two verses from Jeremiah 31, 3 to 4. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to. I'm just going to read it. Jeremiah 31, 3 to 4. Here's what Jeremiah said, or talking about Israel again. And it says, the Lord appeared to us in the past or from far away, saying, listen to this. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with an eternal love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. This is amazing. The word everlasting here is in Hebrew is olam, which means from everlasting to everlasting. God is saying, my love for you is eternal. It's from the very beginning to the very end of time. It's just, this is how I love you. It's independent of who you are. Before you even came to existence, I loved you. And all the way to the end, I just love you with that steadfast love. Amen? You know what that means? It doesn't matter what you're going to do tomorrow. Because his love is not depending on, dependent on you or what you do. His love is dependent on him and how good he is. Amen? And because he's eternal, steadfast God... God doesn't change, therefore his love doesn't change. It's from everlasting to everlasting. Isn't this just good news? I don't know about you, I am excited that God is, loves me the exact same way regardless of all my failing and all my rejection and all my weaknesses and all my sins. Amen? I loved you with an everlasting love, says God. Therefore, I have kept on. This is what it says in the original, something like that. I have kept on drawing out of my unconditional, unfailing goodness and kindness. And I kept showing you that over and over and over again. That has nothing to do with who you are. That has nothing to do with what you deserve. I love you because I am a good, loving, and merciful God. Amen? Love them with an everlasting life. Therefore, I kept on drawing and showing and extending to you my unfailing kindness and my unfailing goodness. Now, let's read at uh, the, the word kindness here. The unfailing kindness is actually Hebrew word chashid, which means like goodness, faithfulness, and uh, kindness. Undeserved um, Kindness. When you don't deserve it, this is how it's usually used in the Old Testament. When you don't deserve something and you come to somebody and say, you know what, I know I don't deserve it, but would you please be good to me? Anyways, this is the word that God uses here. Say, because on the basis of my unconditional everlasting love, I'm going to keep on showing you goodness and faithfulness. And that's what we read in verse 4. Look at this in verse 4. I will build you up again. This is what he's saying. And you, virgin of Israel, will be rebuilt. Jeremiah ministered in the time when uh, the, the Babylonian captivity was ongoing. 
And Israel, the only reason they were punished by the Babylonian because they rejected God, because they refused him. But God is saying, in spite of your rejection, and in spite of your failing, and in spite even of the judgment that I'm, gonna, I'm pouring out right now on you because you deserve that, in spite of all of that, again, I will build you up. I will come, I will be good to you, and I will keep on drawing and extending and continue to show you my unfailing kindness and goodness and faithfulness, even though you don't deserve it, because I love you to the end of time. My love for you is absolutely everlasting. Amen? Amen. He loved them to the end. I love that, the way the message, the message translation, put that verse, verse 3. God told them, I will never quit loving you. I have never quit loving you and I will never will. Look at this. I have never quit loving you and I will never will. Expect love, love, and more love. I just love that paraphrasing. It's just powerful. Amen? He loved them to the end of time. So three things we talked about how Jesus loved his own to the end. He loved them to the end of love. Right here. That cross. This is it. This is the end of love. Could ever be. It's the cross of Jesus. He loved them to the end of love. He loved them to the end of their sins, the rebellion and their stubbornness and their rejection. He just loved them to the very end of that. Amen? And number three, he loved them to the end of time. His love is absolutely eternal. Good. Let's close with that one verse. God loves me who, regardless of what I do. I'll have that kind of love going and I'll just go out and do my thing. I just live the way I want. And since the love of God is unconditional, then, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. Might as well go party, right? Nope. Let's close with that verse. Romans 2, 4. Let's listen to this. This is what Paul said. Or do you show contempt for the riches, for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience? He's talking to somebody who's probably thinking the same way like this. You know, God loves me no matter what. Might as well do my thing. He's saying... You're rejecting, you think you're showing rejection to the riches of his kindness, his forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's goodness, God's kindness, God's love is intended to lead you to repentance. This unconditional love that Jesus loves people with, this love that is to the end of love, to the end of time, to the end of their sin, has one purpose, is to lead people to repentance, to bring people back to him. Even when we're reading in Leviticus, every time God makes it tighter and tighter and tighter on his people, you know why? So they can come back to him. I don't know about you, I'm just blown away that the creator of heaven and earth will love me that much. And I don't know about you, I, whoever gave me the $40 this morning, that Starbucks gift card, I have to say, it touched my heart because it's an act of kindness that I was not even counting on, right? Now, God showed us an act of kindness that blowed our mind away. He didn't give us a gift. He gave us himself. He came down from heaven and he went to the cross so he can open the door for us to go to heaven. I don't know about you. This is the kind of God that whatever he tells me, I'll do. If he wants my whole life, I'll give it to him. If he loves me that much, what can I do and respond except to give him all, Right? And this is what God, Jesus wants from all of us. He went to the cross and he died there so he can provide a way for you and me to be made right with God. 
And in response to that, he gave it all on the cross. The very last drop of his blood was shed on that very cross. So he can open a door for you and me to be made right with God. And the one who gave it all is asking back for all. But it is not that he's mean and grouchy and he's just demanding. He loves you so much. And if you give him your 100%, if you say today, Jesus, because of that great love, I repent of all my sins. I turn around and I come to you. This amazing love that he loves you with to the end will be yours forever. It's a wonderful thing to be with Jesus because his love is amazing. Amen? Amen. Let's all close our eyes and pray.